We are in John chapter 11, this amazing story of Jesus raising Lazarus. And I've mentioned a couple of times, just to remind us where this story fits in with the rest of the Gospel of John. John has a purpose in his Gospel, and that's to show the power of Christ that we might believe in him. And he shows that power through seven signs, where the other Gospels have lots of signs throughout. John has seven specific signs to show Jesus' power and glory. And the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11 is the last and the greatest of the miracles. And it's the only resurrection miracle in John. And it's even more spectacular than the other raising miracles we see in the Gospels, where Jesus raised the the girl who just died or the man who was in his funeral procession. This is a man who's been dead in the tomb four days and stinks kind of resurrection. No doubt that this man was dead and is now alive by the end of the chapter. And the raising of Lazarus proves something about Jesus, as we'll see later, John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. If I were to say to you, I am the resurrection and the life, you would say, prove it. And how would I prove I'm the resurrection and the life? By raising somebody from the dead. But I can't do that. I'm not going to do that this morning. But Jesus can. He is the resurrection and the life, and he proves it by raising Lazarus. One other important aspect of this resurrection is it also becomes the final trigger of the Jewish authorities to kill Jesus. And we'll see that later in John 11 in the coming weeks. They say, okay, we've got to take care of this, this man. He's doing too much. Everybody's going to follow him. If we want to stop this, we better stop it now. Jesus himself has a couple of purposes for this miracle of raising Lazarus. And we see that in verse 4 of John 11. Jesus says, The sickness, that is Lazarus' sickness, is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So Jesus is going to glorify his Father and himself by this miracle. But also... Verse 15 says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus has a couple of purposes, to glorify himself and his father, but also to encourage, to strengthen the faith of his followers. And not just his followers, but those who will witness the miracle. Verse 42 says, I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that you may believe, they may believe that you sent me. So those who believe already in Jesus have their faith strengthened. Those who may not know Jesus yet see who he is and believe in him because of this miracle. Now, we don't have time to review all of the first 16 verses. We've already looked at those. But recall that there's a man, Bethany, who's sick, uh, Lazarus of Bethany, who's sick, who is a brother to Mary and Martha. And Jesus is away. I think he's sort of near the Sea of Galilee. It's not entirely clear where he is. But he's up uh, some distance away. He hears Lazarus is sick. And then he waits a couple of days. It says, verse 6, when he hears that Lazarus is sick, because he knows that he wants to raise him from the dead, and obviously Lazarus needs to be dead for Jesus to perform this miracle. Jesus is ready to go down to Judea. 
But the disciples were saying, maybe you shouldn't do that, Jesus. You were just there not too long ago, and they were trying to kill you. But they go with Jesus anyway. Verse 16, Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus is going to go to Judea, near Jerusalem, then we'll die with him. Let's look now at our text for this week, and we won't get through all this today, but the, the text is verse 17 down through verse 44. So when Jesus came, that is to Beth- Bethany, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. A very powerful passage. Well, let's go back to verse 17. You see Lazarus, again, this passage being raised from the dead. Jesus arrives, verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So after Jesus' intentional delay for a couple of days, Jesus finally arrives. And it's only a little way from Jerusalem where he had so recently experienced such hostility. Remember, they tried to stone him, even had the stones in their hands. Verse 31 of John 10, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus is standing in the midst of these these angry people with stones ready to kill Jesus. And he he leaves them there and, and goes away for a time. And now he's back in, in the lion's den, you might say. Now, let's look a little bit at some Jewish burial customs. Uh, when possible, the body would be buried on the day of death. This is a very dry, hot sort of place, and you want to bury bodies quickly. Uh, and the fact that Lazarus was buried in a tomb and not in a common grave shows that he was probably wealthy and prominent. You could also add the fact that many Jews came to console his sisters, so he's probably a well-known man. And then in ch- chapter 12, we'll see Mary, his sister, has very expensive perfume to anoint Jesus. And so we expect that Lazarus and his family were pretty well off. Also in this time, there would be a time of mourning for seven days. And so people would visit the family of the deceased and offer sympathy. You might have a wake at somebody's home nowadays. Well, that would go on for seven days. We would stop by and offer their, their condolences. That's why we see people, verse 19, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother during this time of mourning, again, for seven days. Now, the fact that Lazarus was already in the tomb four days may be important. There's a slightly later rabbinic tradition that says that souls of the departed stayed around the body for three days trying to get back in. But once decomposition started, at about the fourth day, the souls left for good, at least to the final resurrection. Now, we don't know if that's what the importance was here, this sort of legend that's not in the scriptures, of course, but the legend had it that the, the spirit sort of hovered around the body. In any case, Lazarus was plain and simply dead. He was in the tomb four days, no doubt about it. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. Verse 20 says then, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Somehow, Martha knows that Jesus is near Bethany. Maybe some people were looking for him. And so she meets him outside the village. And it doesn't say why Mary stayed in the house. You can imagine if you had a a large house with lots of people, and somebody speaks to Martha and Mary's with some others, that maybe Mary hadn't heard about Jesus coming. Somebody tells Martha, and then we know that Martha is sort of a man, a woman of action. She's hustle and bustle, and she, she, she rushes out to see Jesus. Um, and when she meets Jesus outside the village, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, you can imagine the thoughts of the family, the conversations. Remember, earlier, they've sent the messenger to wherever Jesus was, and they, they know Lazarus is sick, but Jesus can fix it. Let Jesus know, and he can heal Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. We're, we're good friends of Jesus. If he would heal anybody, he's healed thousands. Why won't he heal Lazarus? So they send this messenger, and they're waiting and waiting. No cell phones, of course. No real fast means of communication. No, no communication that was 
faster than a horse. And not even that in most cases. However, somebody could walk is the, the way you got messages in those days. They're waiting and waiting. Will Jesus come? Will he heal Lazarus? And Lazarus gets sicker and sicker and sicker. And the sisters are getting anxious, perhaps. They're waiting, and Lazarus is wondering, is Jesus going to come heal me? Had Jesus even gotten the message? And then Lazarus finally dies. And they might even think that Jesus let them down. Jesus could have helped them, but now it's too late. Now that Lazarus is dead, nothing can help him. But Martha had some faith. Verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And this, I don't think, necessarily means that she thinks that Jesus will raise Lazarus. I mean, even verse 39, she says, Lord, there's going to be a stench if we remove this stone. I'm not sure she really understands at this point that Jesus really is going to raise him from the dead. But she has faith that Jesus has this connection with the Father, and God will give you whatever he asks. So Jesus says in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus here makes a, an ambiguous statement like he has before. Uh, like he says earlier in verse 4, he says, The sickness is not to end in death. And so some, you could reasonably assume that he was not, Lazarus was not going to die from the sickness. But that's not what Jesus meant. He meant he would die, but he would not ultimately die from the sickness because he would be raised. Here again, your brother will rise again. He doesn't say now or in a few minutes or a few hours. So Martha understandably thinks he's talking about the end times. She misunderstands him. She has correct theology. She's been listening to Jesus and what he says about the resurrection and the end. And the Pharisees also believed in the resurrection of the body. Jesus, in fact, has spoken of the resurrection before. Look back at John chapter 5. John 5.21. Jesus says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Then in chapter 6, Jesus actually uses the term last day. As Martha says, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. John 6, 39, Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that is the Father, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then finally, verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So four times in this passage, he says that he's going to raise up his people on the last day. And whether Martha was there or not, she knew what Jesus taught. She knew there was a resurrection 
on the last day. And so she connects Jesus' promise of raising Lazarus to the last day. So Martha was right. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus on the last day. But she misunderstood Jesus. and She was looking to the final blessing, but didn't know that there was a nearer one at hand. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now this is the fifth of seven I am statements from Jesus. Kind of famous statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Fifth here, I am the resurrection and the life. And then John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 15, he says, I am the vine. So all those I am statements are important. This is one of the most important ones. Verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the one who will restore life by resurrection and then continue it. And it's not just some abstract principle of resurrection. Jesus is the one who will do it. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. And more than that, Jesus is the only one who is resurrection and is life. He's not just raising and giving life. He himself is the resurrection. He himself is the life. And here we have in John 11 another implicit statement of deity. No man or angel can create life sustain life or give life back. Only God can do that. And if Jesus claims the power to do that, then he must be God, or he's the greatest liar in history. There are other prophets who raise the dead, but not by their own power. They didn't claim to have the power of life. Jesus himself did claim that power. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now, what is death? We see the resurrection, we see death here, verse 26 and 25. He will live even if he dies. And the idea of death is used in a couple of different ways, but the Bible doesn't talk about death as a cessation of existence. People, when they die, they don't cease to exist. But when people die physically, their souls are separated from their bodies. It has the idea of separation. Physical death is a separation of soul from body, and spiritual death is separation from God. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, the day you eat from that fruit, you will surely what? Die. When they sinned, what was the effect of that sin? It separated them from God, right? They were ultimately going to die physically, but the immediate effect of that sin was to separate them from God. And we see that in the fact that they hid themselves from God. And God had to restore that fellowship. So death is separation either from the body or from God. So Jesus now says in this passage, he who believes in me will live eternally, even if he dies physically. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die spiritually. So you need to understand what the term death is referring to or life refers to. There's physical life, there's eternal life, there's physical death, there's eternal death. But if you believe in Christ, though you may die physically, you will never die eternally, never die spiritually. And Jesus here speaks in verse 26 of everyone who lives and believes in me. And these are the same people. 
Those who live, those who have eternal life, are those who believe. Those who believe have eternal life. They're the same group of people. You can't believe and not have eternal life. You can't have eternal life and not believe. And if you believe, you will never die. Now, this promise of eternal life is a common one in John. The term eternal life is used 15 times in John, and that's more than the other Gospels put together, and it's usually on the lips of Jesus. But there is a condition. God doesn't give eternal life just because he's a nice guy. But as we see here in this passage, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And John often links belief and everlasting or eternal life in his gospel. John 3.16, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. A little later, John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And there John has the, the other case. Those who believe have eternal life. Those who don't obey or don't believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 5.24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And then one last link between faith or belief in eternal life, John 6.40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So this promise of eternal life is not a promise given to everyone, but to those who believe in Christ, it's a certainty. So we'll see later in John 17, verse 2, as Jesus prays, he says, to all to whom the Father has given to me, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So those who believe have eternal life, but those who believe and have this life are the ones who are given to the Son by the Father. And this eternal life doesn't begin when you die. We often think of eternal life, you die, and then you get your eternal life. But eternal life begins when someone comes to know God, as Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if you know Christ... Your eternal life does not begin in the future, but it began when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, when you came to know God. And the better you know God, the richer your life is. So the life, it's, eternal life is not just a length, it is a length for sure, but it's also a quality of life. Would you want eternal life if life was here on this earth? Misery, pain, suffering, your friends dying, and, and whatever else you might have, your health failing? That's not eternal life. That would be a kind of eternal torment, wouldn't it? But eternal life is a quality of life and a length of life. It's, it's the life that is forever in God's presence. The, the, the most abundant life that we could possibly have. All the things that we wanted on this earth uh, can't compare to the glories that we will have in heaven and the, the joys that we will enjoy there forever are part of that eternal life. And so we're not just sitting on a cloud being bored you know, uh, thumbing through magazines, like in doctor's waiting room. This is a life with Christ and with God the Father and God's people forever and ever, praising him, rejoicing him, and serving him. 
Jesus says something similar in John 8.51 regarding faith and life. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, it doesn't mention faith there. It talks about keeping his word. But I also see a link between obeying Christ and and living forever. Now, all the apostles died. All the believers we see in the Gospels and Acts have died. All of God's people throughout all the ages have died, with a couple of exceptions like Enoch and Elijah. But there is a sense in which they haven't died and will never see death. Remember, Jesus even says, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was proof that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while their bodies were buried somewhere in the land of Israel, they were still with God. God was still their God. They were alive and are alive. And before we move on from this verse, something at the end of verse 26, I think it's really important. Jesus says, do you believe this? And this is something that I think I should do more often myself with my family, with, with you all here, is ask this important question for, for teachers, parents, others. Do you believe this? So I'm not just up here spouting up what I think or even what the Word of God says, but I need to call you to believe in it. It's not just imparting material that you're going to take a test. There's, there's no test. When I, if I finish this, I may be 70 years old when I finish the study of the Gospels, but I'm not going to give you a, a test to say to find out if you're paying attention. The purpose of my teaching you about Christ is that you may grow in Him, but to do that, you must first believe in Him. And so I need to more often call you to believe in what I'm saying. Not because I say it, but because God's Word said it. And if you're not believing the Word of God, it's not that you're not believing me. I don't really care that much if you believe me. If I am not preaching God's Word, don't believe me, please. But if I'm reflecting what the Word of God says, believe what I say. Believe what Christ says. So I need to press you into belief and myself. Do I believe this? Am I just a robot up here speaking these words? Or do I really believe this? And you ask yourself, every time I speak, every time Tom, Brett, anybody speaks the Word of God, when you're reading the Bible yourself, by yourself, ask yourself, do I believe this? And if the answer is, I'm not sure, then speak to someone, and we can help you press into your belief. Verse 27 she said to him, Yes, Lord, that's Martha. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And here we have this great statement of faith from Martha. This could be, hopefully, written on our tombstones. We have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. An early confession of faith. She says that she believes that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, he is the anointed one promised in God's word. He's also the son of God. He is the one and only unique son of God. That special one who came from God, as she'll just say here in a moment. A special relationship with the Father. Now, she didn't, I'm sure, understand all the ins and outs of what it means for Christ to be the second person of the Trinity. But she knew that he was the son of God, the one that God had sent. And he is the one who comes into the world. John 1 9 said, There is the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. 
And this idea of someone who's coming into the world was an expectation associated with a special prophet from God. You might remember back in John six fourteen when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. So the idea of someone coming into the world as a prophet was in their minds as they expected the Messiah to come. But really what's so important is not so much that he came into the world, all of us came into the world, but it's where he came from. He came from heaven. John six thirty eight said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is the one who came from heaven into the world to do the will of his Father. John twenty thirty one says something similar to what Martha said. Remember John's thesis statement, what he's trying to get across in his gospel is this. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there we have the aspects of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, and having life in him. Martha says much the same thing. You are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And yet, despite her confession of faith, her true confession of faith, she needs to grow in her faith, and she still doesn't quite get it that Jesus will raise her brother in just a few mere moments. Verse 28, When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now it doesn't say earlier that Jesus had called for Mary, but it may have been some unstated part of the conversation. We might ask ourselves, why did Jesus stay outside the village? If you were going to go visit somebody whose brother had just died, you would go to their house, probably. He would know there would be a reception there for some time. But Jesus stays outside the village. Maybe he knew there would be a a crowd at, at the home, and wherever Jesus went, he tended to attract crowds. And so he didn't want to have this sort of commotion around the situation. If he went to their house, there could either be those hostile to Jesus who had just tried to stone him a few weeks earlier, or there could be those who would want to interrogate him. Hey, Jesus, why, why weren't you here earlier? And Jesus just wants, I think, to have some private time with Martha and then Mary. And so Martha tells her sister secretly that Jesus wanted to see her. But when Mary rushes out, people see her do that. She doesn't sort of quietly sneak out. She rushes out. They wonder where she's going. Well, she's probably going to weep at the tomb And so they follow her. Verse 32, then we see Mary meeting Jesus. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary fell at Jesus' feet. Where she was in Luke, remember, when Jesus visited Mary and Martha, Martha was doing what? She was busy doing stuff. And... Where was Mary? You know, she was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. 
So here she is in verse 32 of John 11. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. And then later in John 12, we see uh, Mary at Jesus' feet. She's anointing his feet, verse 3, with a very costly perfume of pure nard. She anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So we see Mary three times in the Gospels, and every time she's at Jesus' feet, either listening to him or weeping at his feet or anointing his feet, worshiping him. And she says the same thing as Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She has faith that Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but the idea that he could raise him from the dead seems beyond belief or expectation. She doesn't say, oh, you must be here to raise my brother. I'm glad you made it. I have faith that you can do that, Jesus. He's been dead four days, but I know if anybody can raise Lazarus from the dead, you can do it. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just as her sister said. And is she rebuking Jesus in a sense, or is she just lamenting the fact that Jesus hadn't been here? We can't say for sure. I tend to give her a little credit that she was just lamenting it, not blaming Jesus for not coming. But it's possible I might have done the same thing in her case. I might have blamed Jesus for what he did. In any case, whatever her motive for saying this, she she has the faith to know that if Jesus had been there before Lazarus died, he wouldn't have died. But now that Lazarus is dead, he's really dead, he's four days in the tomb and stinking dead, he is beyond hope at this point until the final resurrection. Well, I really hate to stop here. We get to the climax of the story, and I stop. But I probably should, because I don't want to get partway into this and, and not be able to talk as much about it as I would like. Any questions before we wrap things up? Yes, and they had suffered. They had wondered and waited. Um, you imagine, again, if you were, let's say you had a good doctor friend and, and you knew that he had the cure, You're, you had been, somebody had been poisoned or some other reaction, and you were waiting for that medicine to come, and it waiting and waiting and waiting, and it never came, and how frantic you might get, how, how uh, frightened you might be, and how disappointed you would be when the cure didn't come. And so all those emotions are, are roiling in Martha and Mary and some of their friends. And that's part of the emotion of the scene, as we'll see later in this chapter. That's a deep question. It's a good question. Um, you want to talk about bipartite and tripartite divisions, and there are different views of that. Uh, I believe that there's there's a spirit that's our non-physical part of who we are, and then the body is our physical part. And so there are two parts to us. Some will say the soul is the sort of animal side of things, and animals, in a sense, have souls that, that sort of animating life inside them, and then the spirit is the, the more part that's directed toward God. So, so there's a a soul that's directed more toward the earth and the spirit's pointed toward God. But I think it's best to see it as the body, physical, 
and then the, the spiritual, the spirit is what goes to be with God. That's that's the true us. That is, if our bodies die, whatever happens to our body, we still go on, we still exist, even as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still exist. But someday we'll, we'll be united forever with that spirit. And the spirit is not meant to be separate from a body, like the angels are spirits. They don't have bodies. But we have spirits and bodies, and without a body, our spirit is, in a sense, incomplete. But that's what the resurrection is about. So we are not like the the dualists of Jesus' time and other times where the spirit is good and the, the body is, is evil, but the spirit and the body can be good or evil, depending on the person and what God does. So God will give us eternally... Uh, Righteous spirits with eternally righteous bodies forever in heaven that will never die. It's probably more than you wanted to know. We could talk more, lots of discussion about body, soul, and spirit. Yes. Yeah, soul and spirit, I think, are the same thing. All right, well, let's close with just one shortish comment. As I said before, we look at this passage. We didn't get into the Jesus wept and, and all the emotions in this passage. And we'll talk more about suffering and so forth next time. But I want to bring Jesus' words to you, John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who believes in me or who lives and believes in me, will never die. All of us, whether we know Christ or not, will be resurrected someday. I read earlier, John 5, Jesus says, An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Let me ask you this. Do you believe this? As Jesus said, do you believe this? Do you believe that you will one day be raised from the dead? If you know Christ, it's a resurrection of life. If you don't know Christ, it's a resurrection to death. As Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, I would implore you to repent and believe in Christ today. He is the only one who can raise you from the dead. He's the only one who who can give you spiritual life. And he's the one who died on the cross so that we could have that spiritual life. Jesus died so that we might live. So if you don't know Christ, repent, believe in him, trust him, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and trust him to give you this final and, and full resurrection. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for these clear words from Christ that he is the resurrection and the life. We hope and know other life. Whatever a doctor might do to sustain our lives, whatever medicines we might take, whatever fitness programs, we will, unless Christ comes back first, we will die someday. Whether it's now or in 50 years, our, our lives are in your hands. But we know that whatever happens on this earth, nothing can touch our spirits, Nothing can take away our eternal life. No one can impart that life but Jesus Christ. We pray for those who might not know you here today, those who need to believe in the Savior. May you open their hearts to believe the word of Christ. May they have eternal life even now and come to know you. We pray for those who do know you today, who are burdened, 
who, who feel the pain of this life, who feel the suffering, even that life may be to be endured at this point and hardly enjoyed. May you encourage those today who are not feeling the blessing of eternal life. May they know it from your word. May they know it by your spirit. May they hear it from our lips that we might encourage them to know eternal life that comes from Christ and to enjoy it even now, not just to wait for it in heaven as much as we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for that eternal life in heaven. We also desire the greatest life that you can impart to us now, this eternal life that we have even as we follow Christ today. May we find that joy, find that life as we seek to follow him by your word and your spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.